This is the Illuminate Podcast, a Sandy Boy production. Each week on the Illuminate Podcast, the hosts will bring you insightful conversations and stories of people who are illuminating their own lives through their business, work, community, family, and world. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Illuminate Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Lindsay Hine, and today you're listening to episode 103. I'm really excited to bring you our guest, Rachel Scott, on this episode today. Rachel is the CEO of Coburn Place, which is an Indianapolis-based nonprofit that serves survivors of domestic violence. They believe in starting with safe housing and letting survivors lead the way offering supportive services and lifting survivors and their children up so they can soar. Rachel has a deep commitment to survivors of interpersonal abuse. She previously worked for United Way before working for Coburn Place. She also worked with the Iowa Domestic Violence Organization during its program transition to rapid rehousing from a shelter-based service delivery model. In this episode, we talk about how we can support those we might know who are experiencing domestic violence. We talk about the importance of listening, educating yourself, and maybe getting rid of the word should. Let's think about that a little more. If you do enjoy this podcast or any of the episodes you're hearing on the Illuminate podcast, please consider leaving us a quick rating and review on Apple iTunes or wherever you're listening. And hey, we have some exciting news. So we have two new hosts on the show and we are getting together more and doing some exciting things with the show, including launching a Patreon page. So if you are loving this podcast and you want to support the work behind the show, the work behind sharing these stories, um, you can check us out at patreon.com slash the illuminate pod. The first thing we're going to do over on Patreon is we're reading a book together. The book is educated by Tara Westover. And then the hosts are going to get together and do a book discussion. So basically it'll be a monthly book club over on Patreon. And we're going to do books that guests on the show recommend. So it's going to be a really fun way to engage and connect with the community. Thank you so much for listening. Enjoy my conversation with Rachel Scott. All right. Well, today on the Illuminate podcast, we have Rachel Scott with Coburn Place on the show. Welcome to the show, Rachel. Thanks for having me, Lindsay. You know, I have to tell you that I recently moved to Raleigh, North Carolina, but I used to live about a half a mile from Coburn Place for seven years. I, I also grew up in Indianapolis and I'm recently back to Indianapolis. How are you liking it? A lot. It's been five years, um, but I spent 25 years in Iowa um, before this. Nice. Yeah, I love Indianapolis. It will always have a special place in my heart. We were just, I was just on a run with my husband and we thought maybe we'll come back someday. We don't know. So tell us a little bit about what you do at Coburn Place and what Coburn Place is all about. Sure thing. Um, I am the president and CEO for about nine weeks now at Coburn Place and we are Indiana's largest provider of transitional housing and domestic violence services. 
Um, so our mis mission is around empowering um, children and adult survivors of, of interpersonal abuse. And we do that through making sure their, their most basic needs are met first. So tell me a little bit about your path to working at Coburn Place and how you became passionate about working in this environment. It's a little bit circuitous, but I will start by saying I am a childhood and adult survivor myself and kind of didn't think a whole lot about that. I've been, um, I was a, a bit of a late bloomer and um, had my kids younger and worked my way through college and, uh, and a career in nonprofit um, and state government mostly. The thing that brought me to Coburn Place specifically was I was in a yoga teacher training last winter and one of my fellow trainees was a board member here and she shared about the, uh, the mission and kind of what, they, what Coburn Place was about and I really liked the idea of this kind of self-directed healing, which was completely in line with everything from our yoga teacher training. And so it just kind of intrigued me. And um, shortly thereafter, the position came open. So I applied and here I am. Okay. So are you also teaching yoga? I am not. I, I wanted to learn more and get kind of more deep into my practice. So I don't do that. Luckily, that would be pretty, would <laughs> be a lot, um, though people do it. Um, but it's, it is definitely a big part of my life. So just about a daily practice. Do you contribute like your healing from your experiences to practices like yoga? I, I think so, but I, but maybe kind of only in the last year. So I, I've not been practicing that long, about three years. But one of the things that I think people who've experienced trauma might um, might develop as a coping mechanism is either um, super sensitive alarm systems for panic or or you know danger, and or maybe an override of those systems. And for me, um, being able to kind of check in with myself about how am I, how, you know, what's going on for me right now was really a new skill. I kind of, um, uh, my, my path kind of had me just putting one foot in front of the other and not looking a whole lot about, am I okay? And just kind of like, gotta, gotta keep going. So I think that has been really helpful in terms of, um, you know, our body tells us things and uh, it's it's important to listen and not override. I think that's a really interesting point you bring up. I was actually recently talking to my own mom about this. She had myself and my sisters really young as well. And, you know, I also host a parenting podcast. So I'm like always researching parenting stuff and investigating and how can I do this better? And she said, you know, I just did like I just did what needed to be done to get you guys to school and get you fed and get you what you needed to do your sporting things and and do my own classes because she also went to college when we were really young like you mentioned you did and so I think that's so interesting how different parenting is when you have kids when you're 30 opposed to 20 you know right right I I agree a lot and I think um, I'm trying to remember the name of the book, but it's um, uh, um, John uh, K 
Kabat Zinn. Okay. I think um, who is a, a Buddhist teacher and he wrote has a great book on parenting that, that the name escapes me right now. But one of the things that he talks about is just the when you're a parent, you're uh, the one of the biggest gifts you can give to your child is to just be present and allow them to be who they are. And um, when when you don't, when you haven't done, you know, you're not able to be present and engaged with your kids, then you're kind of like, we're just going on to the next thing. And um, it's really important to just like take those moments and, you know, just be able to connect and be and not, you know, not kind of rush through the, the all of the activities that, that we can do. There's certainly a lot of activities that we're pressured into doing these days. Now, tell me about this season of life for you. If you had your kids really young, are you empty nester now? What does that look like? Sure. I have, I'm in a blended family and I have a teenage stepdaughter who's at home with us half the time and uh, a teenage stepson or young adult stepson who's in college. And then my two adult daughters live in Des Moines. How has that transition been for you? I'm already anxious about it and my kids are so little. <laughs> you know, I, um, both, both of my daughters were really self-sufficient and adventurers. And so they left the nest pretty quickly. And I, I, you know, we, it's, I think it's fun to be a parent of adults because, you know, you, you, you can't be as focused on what they're going to do, of course. (laughs) Um, and so again, just like letting them be who they are. Um, and, uh, that's really all we can do for each other, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, let's talk a little bit about more about Coburn Place and what you all are doing to help um, people in Indianapolis every day. Sure. Well, our sort of flagship program is 35 apartments that we have in on-site in a building that you probably drove by many times. It's an old Indianapolis Public Schools elementary building. And it's beautiful, and on the uh, the National Historic Register. Um, and we provide uh, rent-free, utility-free living for people who meet the, the criteria to be on site here. Um, and then we provide a variety of of um, healing and recovery um, focused programming, everything from individual and group counseling to um, access to food and transportation supports. And then we also, a few years ago, um, started to expand into the rapid rehousing um, uh, model, which um, domestic violence, um, the domestic violence movement you may or may not know, really has um, begun to move into um, placing people in their own homes um, so that they have a safe place to be and, um, you know, are not necessarily in a kind of a congregate setting, which a lot of us um, would envision from a domestic violence shelter. Those are typically very short term. So in, um, in most cases, people are with us for a couple of years and um, and then and then they you know, we work to get them into into permanent housing. That's um, something that they can um, afford and be able to stay in and their their goals are their own to set and so we really work um with them to kind of at their own pace and 
um, you know, don't try to set goals for them, but really kind of look at what each individual survivor, um, what looks like success to them. How do you do that with also, obviously the intention is like you want them to get housing on their own and move on from the program. Um, How does that work when someone moves a lot quicker than other people and how do you kind of manage that flow? Sure. Well, if they um, if they move more quickly, that's a great thing. Um, we are we're helping them with um, with rent and utilities, and so if they're earning money, um, then they're able to put that aside for their goals, whether they want to purchase a home or go back to school or open a business, something like that. So that's great if they if they move more quickly. Um, uh, and but not everybody does, of course, and um, you know. The, of course, the common denominator among everybody that we're serving is that they have experienced trauma and um, many of them were were experiencing ongoing trauma even, you know, before they were adults even. So um, that can be, you know, people respond a lot differently to to those. And so um, we try to connect them to the resources that they may need. So for instance, a a lot of people with a trauma background may have substance use disorder or other mental health issues that they're working with. And we're not necessarily equipped to serve those needs, but we have community partners that we connect with. So we we kind of, we try to take a long view uh, when we, when we work with folks about what's it going to take um, uh, for, uh, for you to, um, be able to live on your own and to, you know, ha- have some breathing space that Coburn Place allows to focus on your healing and recovery. So um, we love our success stories, you know, of people going back to college and getting degrees and um, new jobs and, and all of those kinds of things. But, you, you know, the um, it's, not, it's not that's not it's not the case that everybody is able to have that kind of great visible success. Yeah. I mean, you know, part of being a victim of abuse is going, is, is probably the struggle of going back into that cycle, like going back into the comfort of who that person was, you know, when an abuser abuses you, they're a diff, totally different person than when they're like loving you and like, you know, and I'm sure it's super easy to fall back into that cycle. So how do, how do you, how does Coburn Place take steps to encourage um, victims of abuse to not go back to the person who was victimizing them. Well, we we use the term survivor, survivor, okay. um, and we that you know what what the thing the thing that we do is to try to help people understand what their options are, mm. and um, because we are of a voluntary services model, we. We don't, I mean, and some some places who do provide domestic violence services forbid contact with the abuser and things like that. We don't. Okay. Um, uh, each, each survivor is the expert in her or his own life. And, um, but what we do is to try to um, help make sure that they have um, access to education about healthy relationships, about safety planning, um, and uh, to really help them build the network of supports around them that makes sense to them. So um, it's I, I think it's an, a, another kind of important 
change in the domestic violence movement is for for the practitioners and the service providers to understand we're a small piece mm-hmm. of um, of a survivor's recovery and really their network of friends and family is probably is going to be far more important to them than ever we are. Um, so really helping them to, you know, assess the strength and health of those relationships, um, is, is a piece of it. You know, a lot of times, I I mean, Americans in general don't have a great emotional vocabulary or kind of, you know, necessarily an awareness of why we do what we do. Um, so one of the things that we can do is to equip people with that. And I, I think that goes back to even, what we were discussing at the beginning about yoga, like, how am I, you know, (laughs) I'm used to, maybe I'm used to thinking about what does that person think of me or what might they do or how might they feel. And I, to be able to see, begin to see myself not as a prop in somebody else's life, Mm. but as somebody who has agency to make my own choices. And I think that's, it's a really important path. And, um, and again, it's it's not a thing that I mean. Some people will step onto that path and say, "I've arrived. It's 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 amazing out here." And others will. It's it'll be a lifelong um, journey to get to that path. And I think that goes beyond survivors of domestic violence. Yeah, it sounds like it's a model that gives people a lot of ownership. This is your life. Absolutely. How would you say? would be a good way for someone who is a friend or a family member or a neighbor of someone who is experiencing domestic violence? How could we support them? I think listening is very important. Um, I think it's easy for, for when you are trying to be a supportive friend for you to um, either directly or indirectly to make a person feel judged. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, and there are a lot of sort of implicit judgments around relationships that are just part of our society. And, um, that, you know, we hope are that things like that are changing over time. I think a lot of it has changed, but I mean, it was, in the nineties before, um, before we even really got to see some, some of the more, uh, kind of progressive lawmaking around, um, intimate partner violence and, and, you know, depending on where you live, there's still a, a ways to go. But all that said, it's easy to be a person, you know, who is living quote, a normal relationship to see what somebody else is going through and to, make assumptions or like, well, why don't you just X? Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, we don't know what it's like to be in another person's shoes. And I, and I think in particular women who are partnered with somebody who's, um, abusive in, in any way, they tend to not always, they tend to have some financial dependence Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and there can tend to be a lot of control around, um, children that, um, uh, that, that may color what that person, um, is thinking about. And so the, uh, we, you know, it's easy to, th- <laughs> you, you see, um, 
a movie about prison and you think, wow, if I was in prison, I would lift weights all day. I'd have a college degree. Like it's easy to be that sort of armchair person. Mm -hmm. (laughs) If I was in that situation, I would just leave immediately. And, um, and one of the things like you mentioned, um, Lindsay is like, it, it usually doesn't start out that way. And it'd be really easy if the world were all good and, or all bad. And we can sort of, um, say that, um, you know, that if, or if people didn't have many histories of trauma and, um, poor examples of parenting and all of that kind of stuff to deal with, but a lot of folks are carrying around a lot. And, um, so all that said, listening, educate yourself and, um, keep the door open for conversations and be aware of how, how your comments as the supportive friend or neighbor, how they appear to be landing for a person. Because a lot of times, you know, we might say things with the best of intentions and, um, and, uh, the impact of what we say might be that that person might not open up again or that they might feel like they blame they blame, blame themselves. But there's, there's a lot of, a, a lot of ways to, um, to learn about this and great books and movies. There's um, a series on Netflix right now called made. Okay. Um, oh yes. I saw that. Yeah. So it's, you know, and all, any story is just a story. It's not the be all end all of, you know, for every, for every survivor, but there are a lot of ways to learn about it. You know, as you were talking about that, it really made me think of the word should so many times. And I'm not even talking about super serious situations. How many times are you in a conversation with someone and you're telling them about your next project or anything like the issue that you're dealing with your kids or whatever it is and they say you should do this and you just want to be like oh should I should I are you in this situation right now is that what I should do (laughs) right it's kind of a stop it's kind of like a conversation stopper is what it is yeah definitely definitely and I think um a a good pivot especially if it's a it's a habit you know it might be a habit to say it even if you've experienced it and hated it when somebody was somebody was saying should to you but is to just get curious right um and you know if somebody's sharing something that hard that they're going through to ask you know what kind of support are you looking for from me and you know uh because support often isn't should i love that and i think we're hearing that more like get curious ask more questions tell me more Um, And it is an easy thing to say. So I guess to the listener, if you're like, oh, shoot, I say that all the time. It's okay. We can we can retrain our brains. And, you know, I still catch myself saying that to my husband. And, you know, I think it came to my mind originally when every time my parents would come to my house, they would say, oh, you should do this to the house. You should do that. And I'm thinking, are you financing that? should that I do you know what I mean so Mm -hmm. it's like little examples but also um, it stifles people's creativity because if you have an idea or a plan about how you're gonna make something or do something or progress in this way or that way and someone tells you you should do something else immediately it like kind of stops you in your tracks so um, I guess we're gonna 
we're going to start a movement to remove the shoulds here. Uh, yeah, I need I need that movement for me too because me too. I, you know, and I think sometimes we express our love for other people by let me help you mm-hmm. shape your life, and um, and so it could be coming from a, a very well-meaning place, but you know, I think all of us have had the experience, and you talk about with your husband of where you realize. I'm stepping out of my lane right now. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and I think, I think that that ability to talk freely with people to say, to say like, thanks, but I'm good for, you know, I know what's best for me and having going beyond politeness of just like, hmm, okay, thanks. I'll look into that. Like, f- or feeling like you're supposed to make good on every suggestion um, we just, no, it's all just information. Yeah. I love that idea. Just, yeah, I love that. Um, okay. I'm curious. So I actually, when I lived in Indy, I like went through an orientation at Coburn place and then I never, I never ended up volunteering because X, Y, and Z, I just didn't do it, you know? Um, you know, you can pull all the excuses in the book like, oh, my kids were so little. But that's one of the reasons I wanted to do it because I wanted to not have that, not make that my excuse. Like you live one time and you're going to be busy in different seasons, but like how long can you make a certain thing an excuse? So my question is, is, um, for someone looking to get involved in Coburn place, but might feel that they have some time constraints because they have little kids or whatever it is, what might you say would be a good first step? And, and we're talking about Coburn place, but this could be in any organization like Coburn place around the country. Well, we have, it's, it's actually not very common to be able to have volunteer opportunities at um, domestic violence organizations. And so we're really lucky. Um, we, we, um, we are able to bring people on site and um, it, we've taken a lot of precautions. We, we have a lot of security and, and that kind of thing. But um, just as you experienced, we have uh, a pretty full orientation mm-hmm. um, to it because we want to make sure that people really know about uh, about our clients and what they um, you know what they may be going through and what their needs may be um, because it's really important um, it's you know I, I came from before this I was in United Way um, uh, it was in that role for four and a half years um, and it is easy for people who are, donating time or money to have a disconnected sense of who they're helping. And, you know, a lot of people were raised in a kind of a philanthropic family and whatever, and like, oh, you know, we do things for other people. And I think it's it's really important to understand that kind of power dynamic. And so, you know, again, that orientation to really understand what you're getting into um, is is really important. I think with any organization, um, it's it's great for and usually you'll have kind of a an assessment of like what what skills would you like to mm-hmm. contribute? So, um, you know, if we, we have a lot of um, uh, I, I saw that you're interested in organizing, we have lots of 
lots and lots of donations that we get of, of things that mm. help people have household goods and whatever. So if somebody's like, I just st standing in a closet full of shelves and organizing all of that is my jam, then, you know, we've got something for you. And we also have um, ability, uh, a lot of times families or um, a group from a company will come in and volunteer together. So one of the most special volunteer experiences that we have is that when we have an apartment turnover um, and we paint it, replace carpet and, and all of those kinds of things, and then we set it up for a new family who's going to come in, that's a really coveted volunteer spot. Mm. And so we often have people bring their kids um, or siblings and, and do that together because it really, um, it takes a lot of care and it makes such a huge difference for survivors um, especially if they've been in kind of emergency um, shelter situations to walk into something that's their own and so special. So, uh, you know, I gave kind of two examples. There's the, you know, the helping us organize the stuff, um, helping to like, you know, bring in things from your workplace. Um, it might, you know, we've, we've have a lot of things like that, especially with the holidays coming up. We have people who come and pull weeds. We have, um, uh, people who write thank yous. We have people who write notes of encouragement to survivors. There's lots and lots of different different ways. And ours happen. We happen to have a very close up and personal, um, concrete experience by being able to allow people on site. Um, I've seen the closets. They are very organized. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I got to see that when I did my orientation. That led to me not ending up volunteering, but. <laughs> Hey, you know what? And you're like, how could you fit so many tissue boxes yeah. into this? <laughs> and I say that because, you know, I like, you know, a lot of you have a lot of people have intent, good intentions to to do to do volunteer work. And I don't know that I'm embarrassed that I didn't follow through with what I intended to do. But I guess my point is, is that that doesn't mean we can't still do that doesn't mean we can't still yeah. figure out what could be next for us in that realm. I think, you know, I think that's a de you know, definitely a challenge across the nonprofit world. And, you know, people are uh, the ability to do a thing like I'm going to buy some items off of an Amazon registry um, is, you know, like if you have like I have all the desire in the world and just no time like there there are ways that you that you can do that. But I think the other thing, too, is to, again, get curious, like when you said you wanted to do it, what were you trying to get out of it? Mm. And what barriers didn't you anticipate? And so like, maybe like a lot of times people too, like you get caught up in a moment and you're like, Oh yes. And, and kind of didn't think it through. And so I, I think it's important to be honest about our capacity. And there's, um, uh, there are so many ways that we help each other in this world. And, um, uh, it doesn't help to like beat yourself up about it. Um, okay. So what is your message to someone listening who might be in a tumultuous situation that needs someone to listen to them? I think to take some time and, um, and listen internally. And, you know, I mentioned those, those two extremes and they're not the only reactions that people can have, but, you know, a lot of times when we, when we are faced with a, a traumatic situation, our fight, flight, or freeze um, responses kick in, and it um, it kind of drowns out your thinking mind 
um, sometimes. So the, I think just to kind of check in like, and ask yourself, you know, what do I need right now? Do I need somebody to listen to me? Do I need to be in a, do I need to feel safe? Do I need my kids to feel safe? And to just th think with, with, a, with an, a small step. So, mm. a, a, you know, a small step of, you know, I think a lot of times people are afraid to, for instance, call the police or tell, a, tell the family member about what's going on because I'm breaking this trust that I have with this person and I don't know how they'll respond and I don't know how, I can guess how law enforcement right, might respond or how my family might respond. And, and maybe sometimes people are really surprised negatively or positively with, um, with those. But I think when you talk about it, it becomes real. And so I think a lot of people sit quietly or, you know, kind of avoid talking about it for a while because, um, you know, anybody's had, you know, a, a relationship that, um, uh, should I stay or should I go, you know, you know, even just a, just a normal relationship. And once you start to say the bad thing about, <laughs> about that person, and then you have changed the perception of your friends or your family about that person. And so I think a lot, I think a lot of times people, um, you know, and maybe they've had, maybe they've had, um, responses from family and friends that say, I need to just suck it up and be okay with this. But it's, we, we, you have to get to an inner place of knowing. And it, it's, a, it's an often cited um, statistic that it can take seven times, an average of seven times of trying to leave wow. um, uh, an, an abusive relationship before somebody can make a final break. So um, I think that, that tapping into your, to your own knowing is... Um, is something that I would suggest. What is something in your life or in Indianapolis? You know, I know we're talking about Coburn Place, but is there something you want to shed light on to illuminate to the listeners, something that they might want to think about? Sure. So I, um, I mentioned I've been here nine weeks and one of the things that I heard when I first came in was how much we had had a, a demand, uh, an increase in demand on services during um, the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And um, lo looking into that, I've realized that our staff is beyond stretched. Mm -hmm. And, um, and this is this, the, you know, anybody who's in a direct care profession mm -hmm. is who I would like to shed light on. Um, so our child care workers, our direct care health workers, um, uh, child welfare workers, like the demands have never been greater. And these are the people who make our way of living possible. Um, it's, you know, the invisible fuel for the economy. And so my I would I would shine light on those people who are. 99% women <laughs> um, who are just working incredibly hard um, uh, under uh, a lot of difficult circumstances and just to send them some love and kindness. Yes, I love that. Uh, what is the best, most recent book you've read? I read this summer a book 
by Lama Rod Owens called Love and Anger. Okay. And he is a, he's a real, it's a really interesting book. And he is a Buddhist monk and former Black Panther. And he, I mean, just there are some really jaw-dropping insights in there that really brought together a lot of um, a lot of things that I've been thinking about for the last year or two. So one of the things, uh, a line that sticks with me in that book is that you need to do your own work on yourself so you don't become somebody else's work. Oh, that's <laughs> so good. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. And it's, you know, the world is so noisy, you know, the internet is so noisy. And so that advice is just like, it's so important. Step away, step away from all of it and do your work, not what someone else's work is on them or what their work on them you think should be your work on you. Like it's your work. Yeah. 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 I mean, and just that whole staying in your lane kind of stuff is like, you know, I might have all the advice in the world for somebody else. And, um, and I would, I would be, uh, we'd all be faring a lot better if I just did focused on, focused on me. Yeah. That's really good. Um, okay. What is your last message to leave our audience with? I have found tremendous value to be on a path of self inquiry and, and not knowing just accepting. I don't know. Mm. And I think that, uh, you know, and it, it, again, all, all of these themes kind of run together, but it's really important, I think, for us to understand the the wake that we leave behind us, um, if it, you know, to our family, to our coworkers, to, um, you know, other motorists on the road. And, um, and I think that you can't, you can't control that until you're really looking inward. So I'm a broken record on that today, but I just, that's, it's what fuels me and, you know, maybe drives other people crazy in my life as I continually am chasing new stuff to learn and grow about, but self-inquiry is where it's at. I love that. And not knowing, it's kind of like scary to accept sometimes, but I think that that is where the true growth happens. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for being here today. Thank you, Rachel, for coming on the show. To learn more about Coburn Place, go to coburnplace.org. We'd love to connect with you on social media. Find us on Instagram. We are the Illuminate Podcast over there. And again, we are launching our Patreon page. It is launched. It's up and running. Uh, And that is patreon.com slash the Illuminate Pod. We're reading the book Educated by Tara Westover. And we're going to do a discussion over there. We'd love to have you join us for a monthly book club and more ways to connect with the community over there. This podcast is part of the Sandy Boy Productions podcast network. Check us out, sandyboyproductions.com. We have an Instagram for Sandy Boy as well, Sandy Boy Productions. We've got some great other shows in the network. We'd love to have you check out. Thank you so much for being here. Have a great rest of your day. And we'll see you next week on the Illuminate podcast.